Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Burgess Hill. This message is by Sharon Vanderput. This morning, we're going to continue in our series. We've been doing a series called Living a Next Up Life. And then the subtitle of that is Living a Next Up Life as a Worshipper. And the subtitle of that today is going to be, we're going to talk about the honour, the reverence, the fear of the Lord in our worship this morning. Okay, so it's going to be a good morning because Jesus is here and Jesus is still in the business of changing lives and he's in the business of changing everything according to his will and his purposes. Right? Amen. So let's do a just a quick recap from what we've been doing. So we just catch everyone up to speed in case you've missed a few Sundays. So we started off the series on living a next up life. So we talked about God taking us from addition to multiplication, right? From gleaning to harvest and blessing to abundance. Then we talked about how um, knowing the one we worship is so important and how that changes our worship. How when we know that God is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, He's the majestic one, the eternal one, knowing that and the revelation of that, it changes how we worship, doesn't it? When we have that fresh revelation of that. Then last week, we talked about um, having an abundant mindset and thinking the way God does. And that, as Kevin said so nicely last week, there's more where that came from. So... um, this week, we're going to continue on from that. And it all has to do with living an exit life as a worshipper. But we're going to look at a very important part of our worship, which is the reverence, the awe, the fear of the Lord in our lives. Okay? So it's, it's a very important subject, but I don't want it to be like a, a heavy thing. Okay? So don't feel like condemned or anything. This is nothing to be condemned. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Amen. This is something that I think is so important that will absolutely change the way we worship. Even if we already have the fear of the Lord in our hearts and the reverence of God, there is always more, isn't there? There's always more. So what does it mean to honor God in and with our lives? Have you ever thought about that? What does it mean to really honor God in and through our lives? Well, I think honoring God in our lives means constantly being aware that God is God and I am not. It means just constantly being aware that God is God. Actually, it's a very good way to um, be able to overcome temptation and do what is right. When you know God is God in that moment, you're like, oh, God is God, better not do that. It's not right. Amen. So knowing God is God, like not just God, but God that changes things, doesn't it? So I want us to quickly just look at a scripture in James 4 verse 8. If you have your Bibles out, you can turn to there. If not, it will come up on the screen if you don't have your Bibles this morning. It says in James 4 8, this is in the New Living Translation, it said, come close to God and God will come close to you. Let me read it again. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Now, who goes first in this verse? Any guesses? We do, right? Come close to God and God will come close to you. Now, remember when we talked about who God is, the eternal one, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the savior of the world. And that God wants to draw near to us, be close to us. How amazing is that? 
if we just think about it, it's something we just, we know, but we, we just need to know. Because it, it changes something. When you know that the God of the universe, the one who breathed the stars in the sky, wants to be close to you, not has to be, wants to be close to you, that changes the way we worship, doesn't it? But we just need to remember who takes the first step. Because God's already done everything. He's already sent his son to die on the cross for us so that we can have a relationship with him. But here it says so clearly, come close to God and God will come close to you. Let's have a look at another verse. In Jeremiah 29 verse 13, it says, If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. What an amazing promise. Isn't that just so comforting and so knowing? You know, sometimes when you look for something or, you know, you, you're just looking for the perfect this or the perfect that, or some of you may be looking for a husband or a wife or, you know, whatever. And you just like, oh, so, so desperately want to find it and you can't find it. And you just like, oh, I need this. But it's such an amazing promise that God never hides from us. He never hides from us. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that, don't we? When we feel like far away from God, we feel like everything's going wrong. And God's just saying, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I think that's just so comforting and so amazing. So what does this also mean? Looking at um, what we just looked at earlier, come close to God and God will come close to you. And if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. What does this mean? It means that you, not God, determines the level of your relationship with him. If it's up to us and we have to take the first step and we have to search for him, it means that where we are right now in our relationship with God is where we want to be. And it's, it's a hard one to hear, isn't it? Because we're like, we want to we be close to God. We want to know more of him. But he says, look, if you come close to me, I will come close to you. If you look for me, you will find me. I um, just want to quickly illustrate this. Kevin, can you come up? I um, just want to kind of show what this is like. So basically, if Kevin represents God for a moment and I represent us, he says, come close to me and I'll come close to you. So he's like waiting for me because he, he's not going to force anything on me. He's not one who invades a personal space just like that, you know, when we don't want it. You know, especially you English people, you love it when people don't invade your personal space. Um, it, you, you want to take the first step first and then see what happens. So, you know, if I take the next step, what will God do? He'll come closer. But he's waiting for me to take that initiative. He's waiting for you to take that initiative. Because sometimes we're just like, oh God, I want to be close to you. And he's like, well, come on then. And it's like, you know, God is saying, well, what's stopping you? I've made a way. Before there was a gap and we couldn't cross over. But Jesus has made a way. So we can come closer. But sometimes we don't want to. Why? Because sometimes we have things to hide and we're just scared. Now the fear of the Lord doesn't mean that we're scared of God. It means that we're so absolutely terrified of being away from God. There's a difference. Because sometimes when we, you know, like Adam and Eve in the garden, when they sinned, that's when they hid from God and they were, they, they were scared. There was no longer the fear of the Lord. It was a fear of God. Now, the thing is, sometimes 
Why do we hide when we got things going on in our lives? Because the closer we go, the more, you know, some, when a picture comes closer, the more details he can see on me. He sees things more clearly. So we think if we come close to God, he's going to see more. We're going to be exposed. He's going to know all our sins, but he knows it anyway. Because God doesn't have eyes like we do. And the further away we are, the more he's like, oh, I just see it's blurry. You look all good. You're fine. God knows anyways. So we have in our mind this thing of, oh, no, I can't show this to God. No, I struggle with this. I've got this addiction. I've lied again. I've done this again. And we distance ourselves from God thinking he doesn't know and just try to kind of hide and like, no, God, don't, don't look at that. But actually, he's like, come close to me. Because when we come close to him, he knows it anyways and he sees it anyways. But when we come close, he can actually touch the areas of our lives. And instead of hiding, we can go, Jesus, change me. Do this, do that. And if we're fully vulnerable and open to him, he can be like, okay, let me tweak this. Let me touch your heart. Let me touch your mind. Be renewed by the transforming of your mind. Things like that. Okay? Thank you, Kevin. You can sit down again. Woo! Word and assistant. Um, so remember, you and I determine the level of our relationship with God. Now, sometimes we treat God a bit too casually, don't we? You know how he's, we should call him Abba Father. But so, and it's great, and we need to call him Father. He is our Father. But sometimes Father can become a from a dad, like a daddy kind of thing, a bit of a, which is fine. We can relate to him as a father, but we have to make sure that we still have the reverence behind it. Because, you know, if he becomes like a bit more like our mate, there's not a lot of reverence, fear of the Lord. And this is God we're talking about. And we get so used to God being a friend, being our father, being just the comforter, all of that, that we just forget that he's actually God. And it, it, it can change our worship. You know, the way we have conversations with him can sometimes, you know, change. And he says, okay, um, you know, let's say he says to Kevin, oh, Kevin, do this. And he's like, yeah, Barisha, can we, let's talk about it, you know, let's, you know, rather than, yes, sir, let's do it. He'll be like, let's talk about it, trying to negotiate a little bit. Can you see, like, that's what you do more with a friend. And it's not that God's not a friend, but he's still God at the same time. And it's balancing those two. It's balancing those two. Okay, let's look at Psalm 89, verse 7. In the New Kings James Version, because it's put so nicely there. It says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. I'm going to read it again. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. Okay, this is not even the sinners, the whatever. This is in the saints. He's greatly to be feared. And to be held in reverence by all those around him. Now, could this mean that if God is not feared as he should be, he doesn't do certain things or he doesn't necessarily show up in his glory and in his grace like we want him to? You know, sometimes we're like, oh, Jesus, you just need to show up in your glory. Holy Spirit, blow with your wind and healings and salvation and revival. And we expect all of that. But God is saying, okay, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. 
Are we doing that in our lives? Is maybe the reason we sometimes don't see things in our lives happen because we don't fear him? Or we have maybe, not that we don't fear him, but we've kind of gotten a bit too familiar with God. We've gotten a bit too, oh, you know, a bit too comfortable around him. I want us to look at a clip uh, we're going to watch. His name is John Bevere. He's a preacher and he's got a brilliant story that I think illustrates it so well. It's a personal experience. So I thought it's not appropriate for me to share it because he could share it a lot better than I could. So it's just five minutes, but I just want you to just pay attention to him. He's got some really good things packed in there. And then we're going to talk about it after we've watched it, okay? Let me tell you when I first learned this. Back in 1996, I was asked to do a national conference in the nation of Brazil. It was my first time there. I was excited to be there. I traveled all Thursday night, got there in the nation's capital of Brasilia. And I remember Friday night heading to the service. Cars were everywhere when we were still blocks away. And these cars were there for that meeting. And I remember pulling into this massive parking lot of this huge auditorium in Brazil. And they had a reserved spot. And we walked in. And when I walked in, there is an auditorium packed out with people. There is not a seat open in the entire place. And I remember I was so excited. My first time in the nation. The praise and worship was amazing because they were the nation's finest. And I remember the praise was going on. And I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm going, how come? There is not one ounce of the presence of God in this place. Now, this is puzzling to me. I've got a, audit, a, a, a huge, massive auditorium filled with thousands of Brazilian Christians because it was a believer's conference. I've got the best praise and worship leaders in the nation of Brazil standing right in front of me. And I'm thinking, why don't I sense the presence of God? Now, there are two different kinds of the presence of God the Bible speaks of. One is His omnipresence. That is where David said, where shall I go from your presence? If I go to the highest mountain, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. That is the one where Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is his omnipresence, all right? The other presence the Bible speaks about in John 14 is his manifest presence. That is when God reveals himself to your senses, to your mind, to your emotions. Are you with me? That is a very real presence of God and should be an experience by believers. That presence was missing in this place. Wasn't like tonight. Are you with me? And I'm sitting there, I'm baffled. So I said on the platform, God, where is your presence? And all of a sudden, it was like the Holy Spirit in answering my prayer opened up my eyes. And I started noticing the people during the praise. And they were standing there like this with their kind of looking around like this. Others had their hands in their pocket looking down like this. Others were whispering to one another. Others were walking in and out of the building getting, you know, uh, like popcorn or candy or something or sodas like it was an event you understand what I'm talking about and I thought okay this will calm down but it doesn't they go into worship and I'm still seeing people doing the same thing and then then they're they're finished and the leader comes up and begins to read from the Bible and I'm still seeing people sitting there with their hands crossed looking around like this and other people got their hands in their pocket and I'm even hearing a little mutter from the whispers of people kind of whispering to one another now at this point I am getting furious okay I'm talking really angry, okay? Like Texas spitting mad angry. You understand what I'm talking about? So by the time they introduce me, I am so angry. I just walk up to the platform or to the podium and I lean my elbow against the podium with my interpreter standing right there and I just didn't say a word. I just stared at them. Now, when you're the guest speaker of the national conference, Friday night service, and you've been introduced and you're just sitting there glaring at the people 
and not saying a word for about 45, 50 seconds. How many of you know that gets people's attention? And all of a sudden, people stopped whispering. They stopped looking around, and they were looking at me like, what are you doing? And when I, when I felt that I had every eye on me in the entire place, I said, this is the first words I ever spoke in Brazil in public. I'm, I'm honest. I didn't say hello. This is my family. None of that, okay? This is the first words that came out of my mouth. I said, I have two questions. I said, question number one, you are sitting talking to somebody sitting across the table. The whole time you are talking to them, they got their arms crossed, looking around like this. They got their hands in their pocket, looking down, or they're whispering to somebody sitting beside them. I said, will you continue to talk to them? They said, no. I said, what if every time I walked or you walk over to somebody's house and you knock on their door and they open up the door and when they see you, they go, oh, it's you again. Come on in. Will you continue to go to their house? They said, no. I said, I have been in this auditorium now for over an hour and I have not felt one drop of the presence of God. And the reason is he will never come into a place where he is not held with the utmost of respect. I said, if your president would have walked on this platform tonight, I said, every one of you would have been on the edge of your seats listening to him. I said, if Pele, your greatest soccer player that's ever lived in Brazil, would have walked on this auditor platform tonight, you would have been on the edge of your seats anticipating his every word. I said, you have given no respect to the Holy Spirit at all. And so for the next 75 minutes, I preached on the fear of the Lord. When I was done, 75 minutes later, I said, every person in this place, you say you're a Christian, but you lack the reverential fear of the Lord. I said, and you're willing to repent, stand up. Three-fourths of that auditorium stood up. When the people stood up, the presence of God hit the auditorium. People started crying. They started weeping. I'm standing there going, oh, thank God. It's been almost two hours. And I'm telling you, people are weeping. It's a wonderful presence. It lasts three or four or five minutes, and it lifts. And the Holy Spirit said, lead him in a prayer of repentance. So I led him in a prayer of repentance. I said, Father, in Jesus' name, forgive me, right? We pray the prayer. And all of a sudden, another wave of the presence of God comes in, and it's stronger than the first. And I'm like, oh, this is wonderful. People are weeping. I'm just feeling the presence of God all over. And, and it's just amazing. And then I remember it lifted. And there was, a, there was, a, it was like a lull. And, and, the, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, I'm coming one last time. Now, he said that to me, and there's only, there's no way I can ever describe what happened next, but I'm going to try. Within 30 seconds of him saying that, all of a sudden, a violent wind started blowing in that auditorium. When the wind started blowing, the people started screaming. Now, can you imagine thousands of Latinos screaming? how loud that would be but the wind was much louder wow he goes on to say that basically as a result of that wind all of a sudden people were getting healed miracles were happening salvations and everything that he when he got there did not expect happening because he couldn't feel the presence of God how amazing is that that the fear of the Lord can make such a difference what a difference that can make to a service, to our lives, to our worship. When I saw that clip, I was like, that is incredible. And I, I couldn't share that story because it wasn't mine. So I had, had to have him preach it to you. Um, but how many times have we treated God casually? I know I've caught myself many times treating God casually. In a service like, oh yeah, you know, we do this all the time. 
you know, worshiping Jesus or praying or, oh yeah, hello God, oh, it's you again. You know, just so casually and sometimes it's just we get so used to the Christian life and doing everything a certain way that we just lose that that awe of Jesus of, wow, God. You know when someone first gets saved, so many times they're just like, Jesus is amazing, this is incredible. And they're like, it's, you know, it's a honeymoon phase. They're like, this is amazing. I cannot believe Jesus loves me. I cannot believe Jesus wants to be with me. And then we get so used to it, we kind of forget about it. Of actually the awe and wonder of that. What a miracle it actually is, hey? Salvation is a miracle. It is. And it's so, so important that we just remember that God is a father. But how could we treat the creator, the mighty warrior, the savior of the world as a mate, as simply a friend? How could we do that? Because if Jesus was to walk into the room himself, and I mean, the way the Bible describes him, eyes of fire, gold, everything. It, I mean, it's, it's scary. It's scary. If Jesus was to walk into the room, now Jesus doesn't just walk into the room. His presence, his glory, his holiness, his love comes with him because he's all of those things, right? You can't separate God from that. So if Jesus was to walk into the room, what would you do? Exactly. See, I, I didn't add this to the clip, but John says, you know, when it happened, he's like, John Bevere, don't make one wrong move. Don't do anything you're not supposed to do. Don't say the wrong thing. You're just so aware that God is God when those things happen. Now, shouldn't we always have that? Because God is always here. Now, like he said, there is the presence, his omnipresence, but then there's the manifest presence when it's so tangible that it's just like, oh, Jesus, you're literally here. And he's always here, but we just become aware of it all of a sudden. And it's just so humbling, isn't it? See, if the queen was to walk into the room to your house or whatever, you would, oh wow, you know, we would be like, you know, curtsy and, you know, be like, your majesty, you know, when do we, how do we forget to do that with our God, you know, because we see, just because we see the queen that, and, and we give her the reverence she deserves, but just because we don't see God doesn't mean he doesn't deserve it. Does that make sense? And God is the king of kings. So he deserves even more honor and reverence than the queen. As much as we love her, God bless the queen. But Jesus is the king of kings, isn't he? See, when we fear God and honor him, our worship changes. And it's not just the way we live in general that changes, but our worship just changes. When we just, wow, Jesus is here. You know, God is here. Our worship, you know, it becomes, you just forget about your phone. You forget about the people next to you. You just, you just forget. I remember in my, in my first year of Bible college, there was a time we had an eight o'clock and the glory of God was so strong. I was like, and it was one of those things where I was, I was on the floor and I couldn't get up. And I was just so aware. I was like, I cannot say the wrong thing. I cannot think the wrong thing. Jesus is here. It's like, you know, you make the wrong move and you're dead. Like that's what you feel like. And you know, in the Old Testament, we see a lot of times people die because they made the wrong move and you know, God's judgment fell on them. And we think, oh, that's Old Testament. But, you know, Ananias and Sapphira, that happened to them as well, didn't it? In the New Testament, it was, it was a time where the glory of God was so strong. God was doing miracles, signs and wonders. And it was not just a normal church gathering, like, like revival was going on. And in that setting, they lied to the Holy Spirit and they lied and they dropped dead. 
Now that's New Testament. Jesus had already died on the cross and risen again. Now it's just, you know, especially when the presence of God is so strong and you just know, you know, you're dead if you do something wrong. You know, it's, and it's not a negative fear. See, it's like I said, fear of God is not being scared of God because you can't have a relationship, a relationship of intimacy with someone you're scared of. God doesn't want us to be scared of him, but he wants us to be absolutely terrified of being away from him. Because that's when, you, when you're so close to God and you have that relationship of intimacy, but you just know he is God because you're so close to him, you're even more aware that he's God. You hate what he hates and you love what he loves. And that's, that's the connection with us being effective worshippers. This is how we can live a next up life as worshippers, is that when we just so are in reverence and awe of God, we will love what he loves and we will hate what he hates. And our lives will be different. And it's just so important that we just remember that. See, we would serve and worship who we fear. If you fear the people around you doing worship, oh, what are people going to think if I do that? Then, you know, you serve them at that point because you're more concerned with what they think than with what God thinks. And like I said, this is not condemnation. It's just a reality check. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I just feel like I just need to jump. I just need to fall on my face just because, like I said a few weeks ago, it's just how I worship. I'm just expressive in it because I, I need to, because I just know God's given everything and I need to give my everything as well. And I'm not always perfect at that, but sometimes I don't do it because I'm scared of what people are going to think, especially if you're the only person. Like it's, I've had, it was in a meeting in Belgium, actually, um, and everyone was just like that. And I'm not saying they weren't meeting with God, but I was just so excited about what God was doing and what he was going to say. And Kevin was going to preach and he hasn't even preached yet. But I was like, thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do. And I wanted to just explode in praise, but I was like, oh, I can't do it here because they're all quiet. I'm going to disrupt the meeting. But thinking back, maybe it would have done something in the room if I would have done it. Not because it's me, but because the Holy Spirit sometimes releases something. Sometimes he releases something. Just remember, to honour God means that we revere, honour and fear him more than anything or anyone else in the world. It's not something negative. But see, our whole lives are worship unto God, like we established a few weeks ago. Our whole lives are worship unto God, whether it's good or bad. (laughs) It's worship unto God. Now, if we honor him and revere him in everything we do, and we're just so aware God is God. Jesus is Lord. He is king. He's in charge. What we do with our lives, will whew, that will change, won't it? And it's good because we're supposed to live our lives the way God wants us to live our lives. And I'm not saying it becomes a whole thing of, you know, control and whatever, but you just love Jesus so much. You don't want to do anything to upset him. You're just so close to Jesus. You're like, Jesus, I don't want to grieve your heart. Jesus, I want to do exactly what you want me to do. And it just changes the way you live. You live so close to God, but so in it with God. Those two go together. You can't be that close to God without the fear of God. Because like he said, he is to be greatly feared. Thank you, Jesus. Let's look up Psalm 25, verse 14. It says, The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. 
He confides in those who fear him. He talks to those who fear him because the Bible says that those who fear God are friends of God. Those who fear God are friends of God. See, he just says, you know, you just know that I'm God. You revere me. You fear me. I can be so close to you and not worry about you messing up monumentally. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just God is like, come on close. Let me show you what I want to do. Let me tell you what I want to do. I want us to look at a story in Genesis 18. Can you get your Bibles out? It's, um, it's quite a few verses, but it's such an important story. Genesis 18, a story of Abraham and Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. Now the Bible describes Abraham and Lot, both of them were righteous men. So we, could, we would say nowadays as Christians, right? They'd be Christians. Now let's read. Um, chapter, Genesis chapter 18, let's start with verse 16. Just when you read with me, um, when the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom. So basically men just come to visit Abraham and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I've chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said in verse 20, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see what they have done if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in a city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. See, fear of the Lord. You you hear it in the way he speaks, don't you? What if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are around there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He negotiated all the way down to 10. He gets it all the way down to 10. Let's look at verse 32. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. Let's go to chapter 19, verse 1 to 3. The two angels arrived at Sodom. So these are the angels that God has sent at Sodom in the evening. Now, this is really funny because Abraham brings it down to 10 but there's only Lot who's the righteous one. He's still missing nine people. But, you know, God knows what he said. It says, the two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did not go with that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Now, 
Let's just look at this for a moment. Abraham, the Bible says he was a friend of God. He feared God. Abraham knew what God was going to do before he did it. God spoke to him about it. God told him what he wanted to do. Now remember, Abraham and Lot, both Christians. Lot, as you see here, is a Christian, but has absolutely no idea that Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be absolutely destroyed. It's like apocalypse, like literally. How scary is that? Two Christians, one fears the Lord, one doesn't as much. One knows exactly what God is going to do before he does it. The other one has got no clue. The whole city, Sodom and Gomorrah, both of them are going to be absolutely destroyed, turned into ashes and dust. That is scary, isn't it? Now, what is the difference between the two? One of them feared the Lord. One of them feared the Lord more than the other. Now, you might say, whoa, like this is a little bit strong. But see, if we look at the Moses, Moses is described as the friend of God as well. Moses knew what God was going to do before he did it as well. God spoke to him about it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring the Israelites out. I'm going to do this miracle. I'm going to do that miracle. Go and do it. The Israelites only knew God by the answer to their prayers. You see the difference here. Israelites only knew God by his answers to their prayers. Moses knew God because he feared him by talking to him. He knew exactly what God was going to do. It's challenging, isn't it? It really challenged me seeing this, that actually we can be Christians, but what kind of Christians are we going to be? Are we going to fear God and be friends of God and, and know the mind of God and talk to him? Obviously, we cannot fully ever understand what God is going to do and what he's doing, but there's something about being so intimate with God, being so close to God, and he knows we fear him. He can entrust us with his secrets, with, with his word. He can entrust us with what he's going to do because we're not going to misuse it. See, if God speaks to us, it's because he knows we can take what he says and handle it. What if God wants to say so much more, but he doesn't say it because he thinks we couldn't handle it and knows we couldn't handle it because God knows all things. I think this morning we just need to take some next steps. Like I said, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but it's just there's just a sense. We're doing this preach all across the congregations, by the way, every congregation. This is not just us. God is wanting to take kingdom faith to a place of reverence and awe of him where he could just draw us so close to him. That's when the signs and miracles are released. That's when the healings, the salvation, all of that is released because he is feared in the place. He's revered in the place. Like we heard in the story from John Bevere, God could only do what he wanted to do when he's like, okay, they fear me here. I can do it. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.